1: All right, folks, welcome back to the latest Mountain West Wire football podcast. We're back talking some lot- math. There's a lot of football news to talk about this week. College football, I guess, tinge gently, NFL the draft. I guess we got to kind of discuss that. But our website, MWR.com. We have our draft hub to check on where we're putting every profile. We'll have our the pick selection, some all the random draft stuff this week. It's going to be changed. There's no way it's not. And I got some random spring stuff. So, we, what do you got? So, what's your to the people i'm taking up all the airtime already
0: <laughs> no it's, it's uh, <laughs> There's a lot of going on you said it yourself
1: <laughs> so let's get to spring stuff so there were a couple spring games um this week we've had boise state spring game correct mm-hmm. utah state spring game is that the only two actual spring games we've had? Cause we got some Wyoming, Wyoming news in we'll get recent to. Recent memory,
0: yeah. I mean, I know New Mexico had theirs, but I think that was a couple weeks ago, and we touched upon it very briefly in one of our past episodes. And, and of course, some of the other ones are still ongoing, like Fresno State, UNLV, uh, Wyoming, and I believe a couple of others. Yeah,
1: Aztecs are still trying to figure out that quarterback spot, man. It's mm-hmm. oh boy. We'll get to that when it's finished. But let's start. Uh, let's uh, let's just go with Boise State because why not? They're a pretty popular team. I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> yes just saying so the big things for, Bo- for Boise State we'll get to all this stuff but all, cause first I guess we can kind of mix this in with the draft of who's leaving and who's not so the guys who are clearly out like we talked about last week with Justin Mello Drow stuff John Bates has gone tight end which he wasn't necessarily a big offensive threat you have guys like Evan Tyler Avery Williams a big deal just a couple of guys Jalen Walker most of, a lot of three defensive guys that was what we wanted to see there's still, I don't know. Do you call Jack Sears and Hake Bachmeyer quarterback con- competition? How would you characterize? I mean, I mean it that?
0: seems like it. I mean, I mean, if you're if you're looking at the framing of, of local news stories, let's put it that way. Um, you know, the Idaho Statesman had their rundown of, of Boise State's spring game, and they characterized the competition as being neck and neck right now. You know, Sears had a couple of turnovers. Bachmeyer, I think, was right around fifty percent, or maybe a little bit above fifty percent uh, as far yeah. as his completion rate, and you know, while the obvious caveat, of course, with, with every spring game is don't read too much into the numbers because it's like, whose line is it anyway? They don't really matter.
1: <laughs> exactly. Points don't matter.
0: I think what's what's going to be more interesting to watch when, when fans and outsiders like you and I get the chance to to follow up is, you know, how they look for, for the Broncos in particular in their new system. And mm-hmm. at least according to Andy Avalos, it seems like both quarterbacks – Played pretty well as far as you know how they managed you know pre-snap operations, uh, how well they've managed a more up-tempo pace, and so while I think I've said it before, and I'll I guess I'll just say it again now, like if it were me, I would consider Bachmeyer to be the incumbent, despite last year's kind of COVID strangeness. Um, but yeah. I mean, I, I guess with what Sears flashed both in his on-field play, however brief it was last year. And, you know, despite a couple of turnovers that he was, you know, right around 50%, but he was completing, I think, you know, what, 11, 12 yards per completion, um, that it makes sense, I guess, like if you have the talent to consider them 1A and 1B to just kind of let it ride and see how things unfold. And, you know, because, you know, I think it it would make sense to me to give the inside track the inside track going into the fall, but it also wouldn't surprise me if Sears just played better into the fall and ended up being QB1.
1: Could this be a scenario, look in the future, where Bachemar is the guy where he, never, not that he never got a fair shake, but injuries, COVID, where he never gets to truly be the starting quarterback? Like, he came in as this guy, he's going to be the man, freshman starting, he goes to Florida State, come from behind victory, he's getting hit in the pocket, still finding the strikes so while taking a spear to the chest. I mean, the linebacker's diving and pulling on his legs and arms, Yet he never gets a full season to play because they're always adding other talent around him. And some of it's not his fault. Some of it, I'm not saying Andrew's our fault, but like he just had unfortunate circumstances. Mm-hmm. This, I could see that being the case, unfortunately, because Jack Sears, he has multiple years of eligibility, correct? Uh, I think
0: he either has one or two years. I can't remember if he's a he, senior or not.
1: Actually, well, on the Boise website, it says a redshirt senior, but who knows what that really means because he was a. Uh, uh, yeah, maybe. I just thought he his... came in with two years. I think he did because he played last year, and then this year. So, well, I guess you retain the year. It's all the retain- It's all very messy t- at this point. So let's just say, for example, because if I'm looking at his Boise official site, last year's redshirt junior. So technically, he would still be a redshirt junior again this year if he wanted. You know what I mean, as for mm. eligibility, last year didn't count. So he had two years as of last year. So let's say he sticks around for another year, and. And they do a uh, Monte. what's it? What's that guy's name I didn't like? The Montel, was it Casey? Who they kept bringing in? Montel Cozart. Montel Cozart. Sure, that's close enough. <laughs> I trying to think of the guy where they split time and stuff where maybe Sears is a better quarterback or situational because it is hard to play situational quarterback. It's It doesn't work very well most of the time. And when it does, it's great. When it doesn't, it really doesn't. But my point being, like, Bacomar came out, like, he's a guy, a f- true freshman, all this stuff. And, he splits time this next year. Maybe I'm not saying he will, but he, let's say for say maybe he loses a job going into the next year, the senior year. He saw that one year after because everybody gets the next year if you want it. It'd just be a a weird trajectory for his career where he never really got off the ground. If that I mean, comes to pass, yes, it, I, I know.
0: I mean, I, I guess part of my thinking, and, and perhaps I'm, I'm wrong about this, is. You know, I, I likened his, his impact, at least in his freshman year, to being like, you know, that of Brett Ripon, where Ripon was mm-hmm. pretty clearly a four-year starter. You know, he, I think he got banged up here and there, but he was mostly like the guy for the entire time he was there on the blue. And so I kind of expected a similar sort of trajectory for Bachmeyer. But I think, you know, given the fact that he's been nicked up and missed a couple games in the past, given last year's you know, COVID situation and, and given that, you know, unlike Rippon now he's dealing with an entire new offensive system. His situation is not a one-to-one situation with Rippon's anymore. And so, you know, maybe it's the kind of situation where, you know, he does end up in a timeshare, you know, maybe he's not a Rippon type or a Kellen Moore type where they're very clearly the guy. And I think it helps that like Sears is not necessarily a, um, he's not a change-up in the same way that, like, Kozar was. Like Correct, he's a, yeah. he's a very good passer in his own right. Traditional and so, QB. so, you know, it's not necessarily QB1 and QB2. It's, like I said, as much as 1A and 1B. And if that's how it is, then, you know, if you've got the talent around him, I don't think it makes much of a difference who's under center.
1: I mean, it does. Point. I'm just thinking about, it might a little bit, because the way they throw the ball a little bit, a few cadence here or there. My boy's mm-hmm. just being like, just circumstances from a guy who's highly regarded. But enough of the quarterback talk. We'll get that later because there will be plenty. So defense – or also one more quick thing in the offense. George Solani, healthy, played, loving carries, 50-something yards, whatever, stats don't matter. But loving carries is solid for a spring game. So that, that – because remember thing last year, like when he wasn't playing, it's like, oh, they're done. They're not going to win with George Solani because the other running backs mm-hmm. weren't all that great. So it's good to see him out there. And it doesn't shock me the defense played that well with Andy Ovalos, defensive coordinator – Obviously, Boise, Oregon, before just recently. And then losing a couple of guys is always interesting to see, or not, or it's just hard to see a little bit because, but they're a team where they'll bring in, oh, we lose Avery Williams? There's not, like, like we'll say, we'll say, oh, there's not going to be another Avery Williams. Well, probably not for the totality of what he did, but they'll find more cornerbacks, they'll find more kick returners. But defense is a thing where Boise, we always talk about forces. it's always offense, offense, offense. If you watch the national broadcast, you always see, oh, Statue of Liberty, this, Cullen Moore, this. You have Titus Young, this, you know what I mean? Alexander Madison, (laughs) this. Defense is really good, guys. So this could be, like, I never thought about this until now. It's kind of a big picture thing. Because Brian Harsin was an offensive guy. Mm -hmm. They clearly did well. Could this be the case where... Boise didn't swing to defensive coach just because. They went for the best coach out there. Because we saw who was being interviewed and who was interested. They brought him in for, obviously, familiarity reasons. He's done well at the program. It's it's a good fit. Could he be a coach where the defense actually takes another step up to be even better than what it's been? The offense keeps humming along, and that puts Boise State maybe back to what they were, like, more in content. Like, they've been in contention for conference titles. They've been winning conference titles, clearly. But maybe just a little bit higher up that ladder... To get back to a near six game where the defense is more the focus, but the offense only needs tweaks here and there.
0: I mean, I guess it depends on what you, you know, what you mean when you say that you know they take a step forward and become kind of like the leading unit because you're you're talking about a defense that in many years past yeah, have been is. like you know by SP plus for instance they're they're a top forty defense or, or around there more often than not, and I think that that's been true. For most of the Harsin tenure, I would expect that, you know, going into year one of the Avalos era, that it will probably be around the same. And so I guess, you know, if you're expecting them to jump up to like, you know, the top 25 or if you, if you yeah, something are the group just of five, for instance. So are, are you saying like they could perhaps be like a Cincinnati type defense in the same way that they took the leap and became like a top 10 Defense by SP Plus
1: last year, I think. Yeah, something like that. Where we, I already, I'm not downplaying how good they are, but typically, like just going 10 spots higher in most categories, like whatever the one use SP Plus, Football Mm -hmm. Outsiders, whatever metric you want to use, they're already good. But being very good, above average, and very good to being very good to elites can make a big difference. That's where I'm thinking saying, where maybe they're top 15, top 20 defense. Like, being up there, what did you say, they're 40-ish last year, something like that? I, I, I just kind of, I, without
0: having the numbers in front of me, I just know that they've generally been very good. You know, I mean, especially when Avalos was the D.C., they had some of their best years
1: with guys that's, like you
0: know Leighton Van Der and, and or like Demarcus Lawrence in the years before that, things like that.
1: Yeah, that's my point. They get just a little bit higher. It's like the thing we say... For San Diego State or even when New Mexico is running their weird offense, just give me a little bit more of one thing and you'll be that much better. Like Mm Aztecs passing the game, more consistent, throwing the ball better. Like maybe Air Force having that one receiver who's just a touch better when they get his over-the-top plays. For this team that's already basically elite status, at least within the conference, fringe top 25 team, usually top 25, a couple weeks out of the year, doing that just a little bit more is what I'm thinking, what Avos can bring in. But that's playing pretty well. Because the quarterbacks were about 50% overall. So like, it, I know the numbers don't matter. About half the passes, they had a couple picks by Jack Sears. The defense would make plays that way. That's kind of my big picture thinking. Defense show, show, shows well now. Offense obviously didn't embarrass himself. They were good enough and fine. And that's not a concern. But I just think a couple spots here, there, that's all it takes to beat a team by 25 points instead of 15 points because your defense makes another stop here or there. And we saw it too, like in the championship game, they held San Jose State a little bit in that first half. And so we know it's there. We know it's good, but just a little bit more. So when it's the fourth quarter, they're there to take care of things.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think it'll depend in part on the the answers they find on the back end of things Mm because if the spring game alluded to anything – it's that last year's trials by fire, at least up front, like along the defensive line, the early returns have looked really promising because you know they, they mentioned in the, in the wrap up on the Statesman that they, they only had just 74 rushing yards, which is you know pretty good for a spring performance, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Scale, Gahion, and Jackson Cravens both had two sacks and the guys behind them made them look all of a sudden a lot deeper than they were when they were having to cancel games because of injury concerns in the middle mm-hmm. of last year. And, you know, combined with, you know, guys like Riley Wimpy, Brock Miller coming back as linebackers. And, and both of those guys were productive in the spring game as well. Like that, you know, I would say you can give Boise State a thumbs up for that. But, I mean, you, you mentioned that, oh, yeah, they'll find cornerbacks. But that's a question that's going to linger into the fall, it looks like. Because I mean, Markell Reed was out for the spring game. Uh, Caleb Br- Briggers, the transfer from Bo- uh, Bowling Green, wasn't in. For, you know, ball wasn't in for spring as well. Um, and so most of the guys they had playing back there were like, you know, redshirt freshmen and sophomores who really haven't seen the spotlight like that. And so, you know, replacing Williams, replacing Jalen Walker, I would say on that side of the ball is probably, you know, number the number one question with the bullet right now. And I think it's fair to give them the benefit of the doubt, especially with a defensive-minded coach like Avalos, to say, yeah, they probably will figure it out because year after year, that's what they tend to do. But it's, I think it's still worth noting to say that like, if they're going to make that jump, it's going to depend a lot on finding those answers.
1: Totally. All right, so that's enough Boise State talk. Let's move on to Utah State. They had their spring game over the weekend recently. I'm not sure what the attendance numbers was. But, or maybe it was last week. Was it last weekend, I think it was? Not this weekend. I believe so, re- yeah. Recently. Sorry, we did the draft show last week. So, wait a minute. So, new head coach, obviously Blake Anderson. Um, you mentioned before, quarterback. The transfer market's just injured. Didn't play. Um, What did you come out of this game? Because what we want to see, at least my opinion, I'll give my quick thoughts. What I, we want to see is Utah State's been known for their defense. They've had guys last year. And they brought in... Um, your buddy, Justin Rice, to at Logan, sorry, Matt, just to answer it down. To no, help it's, the, fair, it's fair. To, it is. I don't care what they do. I'm just saying it helped to help the defense already had guys out there. And so I'm thinking this year's team, it might be led by defense, despite what we've seen from what Anderson has done for And for what I've been reading up and looking into and how it's seen, that's what they uh, sort of won the day if you want to put a winning side. The defense took care of that new up-paced offense that Coach Anderson wants to do. It seems like it, yeah. And it's, I mean, it's not
0: simply the new guys. And I think, I, I don't know off the top of my head how many of, of the transfers that were in for spring. But one thing that's going to be really interesting to talk about over the summer as we kind of get more into the, to the extensive team previews is the fact that they brought in a ton, like you mentioned Rice, but he's one of like, mm-hmm. I want to say like five or six transfers that they brought in um, from... The portal, and so I'm real. It's going to be really fascinating to see how those new arrivals mesh with, you know, the guys that are coming up, because you know I know I, I mentioned and I think kind of late last year that you know the anchor of the team is going to be a lot of the young guys and seeing how they progress. So, you know, guys like AJ Von mm-hmm. um, you know, guys like Dominic Tatum, Jaden Smith, um, yeah, how they how they really come together with the guys that Blake Anderson was able to convince to come back for instance, like, you know, like Shaq Bond, I think was in the, was in the portal for a minute before he decided to come back. Um, yeah. And I know he wasn't the other one and all of those guys. So, I mean, you're talking about kind of different populations, I guess you would say, and identifying like how, uh, you know, the, the returners from last year, the young guys, you know, the, the new imports from the transfer portal. And then also kind of like, you know, the other guys who, the, the veteran guys who were convinced to stick around, it's going to be really interesting to see how they gel over the fall because I think the 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 story was that <laughs> I think they you know the defense made a lot of big plays but I think you know I don't know I just I, I I don't think we have a clear picture yet just because you're waiting to see how you know all of those other new arrivals can contribute in the fall but I think I, wish- it, I think it helps to say that like you know, I don't know how exactly they put the score together. I you know, I see that you know the offense quote unquote won fifty three to forty six. But I'm not sure how they're
1: uh You mean uh, the defense won.
0: Yeah. Or did they win? Yeah, they said I'm seeing defense. that they won. I'm seeing that the offense won on the website. Oh, maybe they did.
1: Whatever. Guess what? The point again, points don't matter because you can make it any points to want for offense versus defense. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> so what does fifty one really mean? <laughs> or whatever, fifty plus.
0: Yeah, but I, be, I think the other interesting thing is that like even though Logan Bonner didn't play quarterback because he's still recovering from injury, that both Andrew Peasley and Cooper Legas looked pretty good overall. Like if you look at their stat sheet, you know you look at, at Legas who was 11 for 16, 132 yards and two touchdowns. You know, Peasley competed three quarters of his passes for 234 yards and three scores. After the way that they looked, especially early last year where the offense just looks totally lifeless oh, garbage so bad i think that that's a really good sign for them. you know like devin Tompkins, i believe was another one of those guys who was convinced to return mm-hmm. after putting his name to the portal See if you know, he have... came out he had six catches 121 yards to two touchdowns if they could get more production like that that's going to be huge for them <laughs> because that was something that they just didn't have last year and it's something that they had in years past, like, you know, CIOC Mariner, for instance, who was very quietly like a thousand yard receiver a couple of years ago. I don't think that they necessarily need to have a thousand yard receiver guy, but I think they just needed, they need more from the guys who are coming back. You know, whether it's Tompkins, whether it's Jordan Nathan, um, you know, whether it's younger guys like Kyle Van Leeuwen. And I think you started to see, you know, some of the dividends from guys who were, who were able to come in, like Brandon Bowling another guy who came in from arkansas state followed anderson from from Jonesboro. he had six catches as well for 44 yards and so that's that's the kind of thing that i'm talking about is you know you you saw it i think more on the offensive side than you than you were able to see it on defense as far as how the how the new arrivals are going to um you know come together with the guys who are returning from the old from the old regime and so I think on that side of the ball, that's what I'm most encouraged by because that that I think in my head has been the kind of thing that I've been talking myself more into. It's just like, you know, Blake Anderson's an offensive guy. He's been able to do it for years out in the Sunbelt. And I think the early returns is that, you know, he seems to, like he's going to be in a good position to keep doing it in year yeah. one in Logan.
1: Yeah, looking at a couple of the things I've seen on here, like quotes and stuff, like Shaq Bond, like you mentioned him, like he returned. He's like, he's like, well, he's not, he's like, I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but there are holes to fill. And mm-hmm. he's basically saying that they did really good, stepped up, and brought that intensity back. Cause look what we've seen like the Facker brothers year before, or Vigil brothers, Nick Frack, all these guys playing defense who were really good out there years before. I think he's kind of leaning toward that defense being aggressive to being, who was the DB a couple years ago and they had three picks versus BYU? And they had like love it? Yeah, down What do you have, like two for a touchdown, three picks, or something crazy something like, like that. that? Yeah. Like, that's what they need like they have long but and other guys and the rice coming in like the defense that's what the Aggies have been known for and I think you're right in offense and we'll see because both quarterbacks played well it's like well the defense did good but like the quarterbacks like against up tempo I don't know how many snaps actually did but it looks like at least probably 40 passing throws like if you combine both guys yards three was it that's my master quick math three 366 um Five touchdown passes, one interception, but between Peasley and Lagos, like yeah, the, and and the rundown from the
0: Salt Lake City Tribune also mentioned that you know they, that Anderson played six running backs, four of them had forty carries. So I mean, you're talking about probably like yeah, you know, 80, 90, nearly a
1: hundred plays, plays in the which is good yeah. for scrimmage. But it's like to see like who? Like honestly, I'm the offensive guy here. You're a temple offense, not to go off of this, but you can go and run play or pull out in Oregon or pull out what Gus Malzahn would do sometimes where, cause I remember vividly when they played BYU back at Tulsa and it's, all right, we're up to the line of scrimmage, but you sit there and wait. So their other team can't sub. So you just mm. sit there and get in your position. So it depends exactly what they want to do, but this seems more like let's do more plays. But I do like from what we've said, they get a ton of people involved because they're doing all these different running backs, a lot of different receivers they may not need like Associate like Mariner or somebody to go for 1,000 plus yards to be amazing. Give me mm-hmm. three guys of like 600 plus or something like that. I don't know if that's a good number off the top of my head. But a couple guys who are, what, six catches a game, like spread it out to everybody. A lot of running backs. They do lose Jalen Warren who went to Oklahoma State. So that's the kind of a running back is an issue to look at. But overall, I'm more bullish on the Aggies than I was before. First team in the country, the best team, playing against against your own offensive defense. Both probably should look like – so I still mm-hmm. like what they're saying and what's been out there, but I'm still a little bit higher than them. But we'll see what exactly they do because like SP+, Plus FPI has them pretty low in projection within the conference and nationally. I mean
0: if, if the name of the spring games in particular – and this is true of any team. If the name of the game is to generate excitement – Oh yeah, and I think think as far as Utah State is concerned, mission accomplished. That's what I'll say.
1: Perfect. All right, George Bush, let's go. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Any other spring games where we get to, or can get some news from like uh, Wyoming and what they got going on? Um, Yeah, we can. We can head to Wyoming. Alright, so when we talked a couple weeks, what was it a month ago with Michael Katz of the Trib and other places where you can find anything on Wyoming uh, sports? It's the biggest thing is the new coordinators, early special offense, and Sean Chambers, Levi Williams. What are they doing <clears> here? <throat> um, it's still their spring game is still upcoming, so they're kind of in the midst of it. I just wonder, like the biggest thing, if you go back and listen to that show, which you which you should, we you mentioned Like, Levi, well, both these guys haven't played a ton of games. Mm -hmm. Like, the number of games of starts has not been a lot. Because I was kind of high on Willems two years ago because he had those two couple games at the end of the season where he seems to be running nearly as good as Sean Chambers but has a better arm. But then again, they didn't require Sean Chambers to throw a lot. Yeah. And so it's like, what do we really know from a quarterback where you're not joining the team that's triple option or whatever but it's heavy run base and you don't need to throw because Xavier Invalidate, last I've heard, Matt, he's a pretty good running back in the conference. Mm -hmm. He's up there. And so... That's the biggest thing I want to see. And the offense looks to be a little bit different. Looks like they're going to be throwing a bit more, which is what I want to see. They're halfway through practice, just over eight to fifteen, so we'll see. Um, I don't know. I just like to see them throw the ball a little bit more to see what can be done. Because again, we talked about the Boise defense take just a ten percent increase here or there, and that could be a big difference between like six wins and ten wins. Sometimes, if you're just mm-hmm. a little bit better, and if one we can throw the ball. And we meant like they have all these guys coming back who opted out. The receiving group has more experience because that was like last year. Like oh crap, who's going to catch the ball? There's literally nobody. Um, one thing that's interesting too, which is good for the offense, new coordinator. Like looking at sack their um, QB coach. These guys, the quarterbacks, know the plays. There's no cards at practice. They have a muscle memory of knowing what play to call. However, they're calling in the plays. There's no cards to kind of give them the clue on the sideline. Oh yeah, the the cat. Times the uh, dollar sign plus um, Will Ferrell means this passing player, whatever we're going to do. Those crazy, Mm. wacky plays out there. So they know that, which is always good too. And it looks like there's a slight edge that Sean Chambers is ahead, but very minimal, it looks like, from what I've read and seen. That's what it seems like.
0: Yeah. I think that, you know, the key for him is just, you know, one, efficiency when he's on a field, because I think.
1: give me stiff arms
0: <laughs> yeah I mean I mean you know with him and validate that's been basically a, a very lethal combination when they've been on the field together I think the, you know the problem is if he's had season-ending injuries the last two years mm-hmm. but it makes sense to me that he would go into spring as the uh you know as the presumed qb1 I think that was how Davis Potter over at the, the Star Tribune had, had framed it mm-hmm. and it, it's encouraging to me that you know now that he's back to being 100%. I think that that uh, Potter had noted that he's been averaging about 6 yards per carry on the ground, which I think you know,
1: for QB that's as, as far good. as that's
0: concerned, that's business as
1: usual for him in that <laughs> offense.
0: So I think that's yeah. a really good sign for the for the Cowboys overall. I think one thing that you're just going to want to continue to see is you know just a, a more efficient passing game. Like I think one thing that you that they've flashed over the couple of years whether it's been williams or chambers under center is like i think they have the explosive play down Mm -hmm. you know we we saw it in the bowl game a couple years ago um you saw it last year with isaiah nayer in particular where i think he was averaging something like 20 25 yards a catch even though he only had like like a dozen catches overall in the season yeah and so i think you know as if they can get more of that great but i think what you want to see is You know, maybe when it's second and six and they want to drop back to pass that they can move the chains for a first down, which is something that you didn't really see a lot of over the last couple of years. And so I I think also, you know, obviously, fingers crossed, knock on wood, you want to make sure that both quarterbacks stay healthy as well.
1: Oh, totally. Yeah, that's the big thing because that's like, oh boy, who do we got here? What's going on? Mm-hmm. But that is—I think that's the biggest thing I want to look at for a spring game. What's going forward? Because looking through that same article, like their past couple years, even going back to Josh Allen, they don't complete the ball to high percentage. The last cup these two guys were just under fifty percent, mm-hmm. and so and even Josh Allen's best year was what, what was it fifty-five percent? Nothing. Not, he wasn't cracking sixty percent for sure. And no. now he's a, into contention, NFL MVP. Throwing to Stefan Diggs and everybody out there in Buffalo and potential, like, very good team that has high expectations out there in NFL. And there's like, well, let's give him the talent, which sort of leads the credence. Yeah, if he has better talent, he would have also had good talent. Before he had NFL receivers on his roster um, back there. But I don't know if it's a Laramie thing, it's a weather thing because it's windy, snowy, blustery. But give me 55% passing and I'd be satisfied. That seems to be a reasonable baseline for them to be that much better. Mm-hmm. and that could do wonder. You know what I mean? Because like looking at the national stuff, I'll go to 2019 because last year was quirky. If you look at like passing offenses nationally and you kind of sort it by CFB stats by um, percentage, like top guys, like teams, like 70%, LSU, 75%. If you look at Wyoming, well, I mean, they are way... Oh, I closed my tab. Shoot. Oh, never mind. I, uh, I will pass on that metric because I closed my tab because <laughs> I'm like, oh, sword, I hit the X. But point being... Going from eight percentage points is a huge deal. Like, that could be – you know what I mean? Like, that's an amazing – like, the 10% thing I mentioned before. That is something, if you can do that, your team will be that much better. And they already know they can run the ball with Xavier on They know they can run the ball with Sean Chambers, assuming he's the guy. And if you – okay, I got it back here. I'm pulling up as I vamp this. So they were – do you want to take a guess of what place nationally in 2019? So two years ago, where it was majority – Sean Chambers and a couple of games Levi Williams. Were they ranked in in um, completion percentage? Were they like next to last
0: or something like that?
1: Pretty much behind. Only ahead of Army and Georgia Tech at forty six point nine percent. Even going fifty five won't do it much, but it'll get them about the basically if you look at the um, about a hundred, so it'll be about twenty spots higher. That eight percentage points could be a big deal, if, even if they're only a top hundred passing team per mm-hmm. play. I mean, not per play, but per percentage. So. That's the biggest thing I want to see. Like, who are the you mentioned? Like before start, like the guys returning. How is that going to kind of change what their expectations might be?
0: Well, that's that's the thing too, because you have to imagine the guys who opted out last year are, are still in the in the rounding in the form, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I believe four of the six were on defense. So A lot then, of know, defense. the full the full list, just to, so you're wondering. In case you're wondering, Solomon Bird, defensive lineman; Rome Weber, defensive back, safety. Uh, Mario Mora, defensive tackle, I believe. Titus Swen, running back. Uh, Davon Wells ross another defensive lineman. And Claude Cole, who I believe was an offensive tackle. Um, and I apologize if I <laughs> if I uh, okay. misspoke on any of those. But, you know, those guys are getting back to the mix, too. And the defense was pretty good without them last year. And so it's really interesting to see that it's sort of creating... Uh, you know good problems that the, that the coaching staff and Jay Sauvel, the defensive coordinator in particular are going to have to solve you know because one thing i think that that stuck out to me when i was doing research for this podcast is the fact that you know we know Keon Blankenbaker has been really good out of the nickelback slot that they that they've run uh, over the last couple of years with the 425 but now they are i guess they're thinking you know they have options in the defensive backfield they have you know cornerbacks, and with you know C.J. Colton, I think in particular is the guy they have their eye on, who have had injury concerns in the past. And so they're trying to figure out, you know, well, how flexible can they be? You know, who can play where? Who can do what? And so I think one of the interesting things that that Cody Tucker over at Laramie Live had brought up was, you know, pairing Blankenbaker with another potential nickelback and Keontae Glinton, having both of those guys on if you, on the field at the same time. How can that work? You know, how can they how can they move Rome Weber around? You know, how can they yeah. you know, how can they, you know, move Zayas Gandhi and Braden Smith who both played safety last year when when Weber was opting out? It's gonna be really interesting to follow because I think we've shown that they've been able to be very productive up front, you know, with the young guys stepping up and really replacing guys who opted out. And it's gonna be really fascinating to see how they find answers on the back end as well, because I think they have options back there. Some injury concerns. Some guys kind of coming back into shape. Some guys, you know, maybe playing different positions than they have played in the past. It's going to be really
1: fascinating to watch. No, it totally is, and it, maybe they're like that's why some people saying watch out for them. They could be a conference uh, contender, and that's that's why I'm still buying all the stock. We'll see. All right, let's get to um, we got some draft stuff coming up. Let's uh, we talked draft last week just to mellow the Mountain West draft class this year. We want to, I don't want the sad trombone noise, but it's also because everybody's returning and next year's gonna be hopefully good, right? Well, yeah, last next year's
0: gonna be really fun. This year this year's okay. You know, it's not
1: bad. Next year there's gonna be so many undrafted free agent guys, it's gonna be crazy. Yeah, no kidding, right? Just because everybody's coming back and so that's why the point I kinda of thought earlier, I think we may have touched on this at some point, whether online or off, that if you're a fringe guy, which is almost in any year, if you're like a say you're even a fourth or fifth round pick, I would have gone this year. Just because there's fewer people to get drafted, a better chance to be drafted, despite it's a it's a risk of way off where you may have played only four four to seven games, eight games if you're like, like there, if you're kind of lucky. Mm-hmm. Um, less competition against you though. The film's there, I don't know, I kind it's like a double edged sword. Like okay you could next year and bust out and be amazing, play t- ten to thirteen games depending on your season. And they, or take this chance where there's half as so many guys going. So that's kind of the upside or downside. But the main guys we discussed uh, to get drafted, like last week, I guess Justin, what did he mention? He said John Bates, Avery Williams, Tari- Darren Hall, and maybe Trek Thompson. Is that where he's sitting?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Are there anybody else? I Like, what are the thoughts on, like, Air Force, like, Nolan Laufenberger or Parker Ferguson? Or
0: Laufenberg? So, sorry. So I think... <sighs> It seems like the consensus is that Ferguson is generally thought of a little bit more highly regarded than Laufenberg. And I wonder if that has to do with the fact that he played tackle rather than inside at Air Force. Because I think, you know, even if he is generally a little bit undersized to play the position at the pro level, you know, at least as far as the scouting reports that I saw. You know, and, and I'm thinking most prominently of, of Dame Brugler and his, his his what he calls the Beast over at the Athletic. Go get it if you um, don't have it. That you know, I think his overall pick, his overall outlook is that you know, uh, Ferguson's skill set is perhaps slightly more NFL ready than Laufenberg is, even despite the fact that you know, obviously the Falcons tend to run a very unusual system. Um, but that his that Ferguson's tools as as a run blocker and as a pass protector are generally a little bit more of a better fit out the gate, even if he's not necessarily a drafted guy. You know, I think Sean O'Toole, our Air Force writer, you know, compared him, and I think it's it's a fair comparison to like a, a Ben Garland, who um, you know Garland wasn't drafted either, but he's carved out a nice little career for himself at the pro level. And so it would not shock me to see one or both of those guys follow that same path. Like maybe they sneak into the seventh round. I don't know if I would put my money on it just because Air Force guys getting drafted tends to be a very rare occurrence overall, regardless yeah. of whatever draft, whatever position you play. But it would not shock me if they both ended up in fall camps and then ended up in, a, in an offensive line rotation somewhere next year or this fall rather
1: yeah i can see that. both guys are about at their position i'm still i'm looking at bugler thing. like they're both 35th 36 um overall they're kind of the um position grading out like the top whatever for the mm-hmm. guard tackle they both have size they're both about six four both over 300 pounds they're not beast guys like i'm looking here like geez donovan campbell or donovan campbell from Law tech six four freaking 336 or <laughs> guys like 320 like they're about 300 which is good. I know there's a trend for a while, like with the Broncos years ago, give me guys like 280, 290. So they have that more um, kind of athleticism. Not to say they don't because these guys grew into it, but that that's not necessarily the norm anymore. Well, mm-hmm. I, I guarantee they'll get picked up somewhere. Like, both these guys were considered efficient by PFF throughout the year, considered for like All American honors, All Mountain West. These guys are good. Like, they just go to an offense that. I know the NFL is slowly trending toward more passing, but there's still plenty of teams that just like to want to run the freaking ball, and that's it. And hmm. only pass kind of when you need to understand or more. They do those type of things where go to that right offense, and, yeah, it's a learning curve a bit because the run option, triple option is pretty unique in what you do. It's kind of just repetition over and over and over. If you're pulling, you're whatever you're doing, you're going to help block the guy so you get the pitch, the ball to the pitch man or the QB keeper. They're they're smart guys, so they learn a system where you think it's as simple. It's not necessarily simple because there's so like that's why they call it the option, right, Matt? Like, yeah. you could do a, a million different things if you're that pulling guard or tackle. To do you push the guy toward the inside of the field? Is it going to be falling, going, looking even with the quarterback to that right or left side, and then blocking the right guy or stuff? You know I mean, like, there's a lot of different thinking instantly when you do this type of play or play calling. They do. Mm-hmm. Well, I I mean, be-
0: There's a whole idea of like, and I don't know how much it's worth buying into, but like the idea of football IQ. Yeah. I would say that, you know, generally, if you're at the Air Force Academy, you were probably going to have a very high football IQ. And so I think that's something else. Like it's one of those intangible things that's oh, nebulous yeah. and perhaps a little, um, a little dicey to really dive fully into or buy fully into. But I do think it's worth mentioning that like, you know, he learned a very unique system and it would not surprise me if you were in a position to do the same thing again.
1: What do you, no, I totally agree with that. That makes a lot of sense. So let's move on. What do you think about, we did discuss Warren Jackson last week because Justin didn't interview him, talk with him. Mm-hmm. He didn't play last year. He's one of the pretty high profile guys out there for receiver and receivers the last year, this year, next year, going to be pretty, pretty stacked. He's listed here as the 40-second wide receiver. That seems a bit low for me mm-hmm. just because he's – he, they're predicting like a seventh-round pick. He has to be better than that, or is it just me being biased about what he can do because he seemed to be a guy to make all the plays, beat every mountainous defender he went up against to pull it on the ball.
0: I think it all depends on what you think his ceiling is because I think he's definitely got a couple of interesting physical traits that relative to a lot of other people in – the draft that you know for instance like his his physical frame you know he's 6-6 220 he's not the fastest guy out there and i think you know when you look at his 40 time for instance I, i'm looking at at Brugler's, you know guide and i'm i'm seeing right away that like he pretty much ran the fastest or rather not the fastest the slowest, slowest 40 time of yeah. any guy who could reasonably expect to get drafted I think maybe that's a little bit of a problem. Is yeah. he doesn't have that top, the top shelf speed, four seven that, one that yeah. would push him to like you know compare him to like Megatron who I think was physically gifted in a lot Both. of the same
1: ways, but he also ran a four four. However, you know I mean? I'd point I'll put this on here. You're not running two things. You're not you see the parentheses or some get to that the ten yard. Mm-hmm. You're not running forty yard streaks. His ten yard. No, I get what you're saying. Split. I'm just for a perspective for people. He's not the fastest guy, so odds of him doing a post or going, beating somebody down the field, unlikely. He has the size for other things, like if you want to throw the stupid fade, get it to him, or he could be like a, get it the quick out pattern where it's out of bounds, but he keeps his toes in and reaches where there's nobody to get it. But his one six five split is comparable to like a lot of the guys, even near the top, .05 difference. like Armani Rogers, which people love out of Clemson, exactly the same speed right there. And yeah. he's a four-five-one 5 one guy. So it's more of the burst I'd rather see than, like how many times, again, you're not running four verts, or you not mad at going to four verts every time. And mm-hmm. so that, uh, for him, here's why I don't think the overall speed matters as much, but it is a it is concerning some people. I think the 40 is kind of antiquated and not really affecting that far down the field, but if with his size, if he can beat the guy at the line of scrimmage, and they just toss it above, catch it and go down the field. Like if he does a, a start and go, or he just cuts the corner, and gets that first step off a of DB, and they just throw like a not the fade, but kind of a soft over the top pass by the sideline. Why can't that him getting off that burst will be better than anything, just about as good as anybody else who's being drafted. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of my takeaway: where he initial speed is more important than overall speed.
0: Yeah, and I'm I'm glad we get the chance to talk about Jackson because I get to talk about playmaker score for the only for the only time oh, yeah. in this draft cycle. Do it, <laughs> and for the, so for those of you who aren't familiar, it's basically a, a a measure that was invented by football outsiders, and so you can go to footballoutsiders.com and read the entire article for yourself. Um, because it, it, you know one of the things that they do is they try and project, you know, how different positions will you know, produce in the future. So, like, they have one for quarterback, they have one for, you know, running backs and, and, and playmaker scores, What they use for wide receivers. And it's really interesting because you start to see some of the disparities between, you know, where maybe more traditional measures, you know, traditional scouting might see him as more of, like, a day two pick or maybe, like, at the worst, uh, an early day three pick, like round five, versus some of the advanced measures that see him being, like, a little maybe uh, closer to like around six or around seven type pick because when you compare him to some of the guys at the top of the draft like davante De- De- smith tutu apple um jamar chase elijah Moore, those kinds of guys mm-hmm. you know their, their playmaker scores you know, you're talking about like 99 98 97 percent uh, by comparison jackson's is only 16%, 16 percent, hmm. 16.8 to be exact Interesting. and his his projection as far as like i think yards per year is a lot lower than some of those guys who are projected to go near the top of the draft. And it's also a lot they're also a lot lower than some of the other guys who maybe they aren't first round picks, but they're I think generally considered to be bigger sleepers. And so like case in point, Dwayne Eskridge from Western Michigan. I can't remember if we brought him up last week or not, but you know maybe. he's a guy who was you know very explosive for, for the Broncos out there in the Mac and I think they're projecting him possibly to be like a round three pick, to be those that kind of project guy or that small school guy where, you know, he comes out and maybe he contributes right away. But at the same time, they're still projecting. I think according to Scouts Inc., they're projecting Jackson to be a fourth round pick. And and when you look at his, uh, his 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 uh, fighter pro day relative to other, his number one comparison is a really interesting one. It's Anquan Bolden. And I'm wondering if perhaps that's the kind of – which is not to say that he is Anquan Bolden. For instance, he's six – he's six, inch, or excuse me, five inches taller than Bolden ever was. Um, but I wonder if, like, that's the kind of – he has in the pro level where, like, maybe he's not the Michael Gallup type where he can get down the field and make kind of the 50-50 play look easy. But he can be a possession type guy. He can be a red zone threat. And maybe he's not a superstar of the next novel, but he's definitely a contributor. And so I think that, you know, how pro teams see that is ultimately going to, uh, I think, determine how early he's picked because I don't think he's, I don't think he's going to slide out of the draft, let's say, but it's going to be really interesting to see whether he's picked, you know, early on day three, like around four, around five, or whether he gets closer to the end of the draft. and He's more of like a round six, around seven type pick. Cause I think, He's going to get drafted. It's just a matter of how well he stacks up internally in, in those different war rooms against all what is a very, very deep wide receiver class.
1: No, that's part of it, too. Like He could be a guy where he slips just because of the overall amazing talent, but still be a guy who has an impact on a roster, who does amazing things. Also, you would think, I don't know how much teams look into this, but the history past couple of years of uh, pretty good C S receivers. Like, I know Shard Higgins has been off and on with Cleveland more on lately. Uh, Michael Gallup, um, Preston Williams with the Dolphins, who's looking to be a pretty good guy. I wonder how much you're actually looking at. Well, this program has produced three basically three straight receivers drafted in the NFL. I think Shard Higgins was drafted. If not, he was a priority pick up by the Browns. Uh, but Yeah, and
0: Preston Williams, I think, was the only one that wasn't drafted.
1: He wasn't? Oh. He's might be the best one out there. (laughs) Even Dolphins, he's been pretty good. I got him uh, playing when I need to in fantasy. Bit like, oh, thank you Mm -hmm. very much for scoring up, hooking me up occasionally. But I wonder how much that goes into it for pedigree and history, because it's like the similar thing. Boise State running backs, senior running backs, or not necessarily senior, but running backs who leave the NFL draft, they've had a huge success going back to Doug Martin almost 15 years ago. Like being drafted, not all of them are sticking around, but they're playing. They're on teams, Alexander Madison. Jeremy McNichols it's kind of the similar type of thing so I wonder if that will take into it but I he'll go to a team and probably drafted later than we think he should be and be a really good asset to whoever takes him mm-hmm. that's I yeah
0: I mean it's he, and I say that you know it's a very deep class and I mean depending on you know what what draft next you tend to believe it's like you know how does he how is he going to stack up in the eyes of like the decision makers compared to someone like um, you, know, for instance, Dax Milne from, from BYU, BYU. or um, you know, Walt Feiler from Indiana or um, I think if you, if you want to compare him to another Mountain West wide receiver, Rico Busey junior from Hawaii who didn't necessarily shine on the stat sheet, but had a, a very, very good pro day that reminded people why he was so explosive at North Texas before he went to, you know, Hawaii for a year. Um, You know, there's a chance that he might get drafted. I think Scouts Inc. sees him as a, a kind of a middle of, of day three type pick. But, you know, compared to Jackson, his playmaker projection is a little more modest. Like Jackson's was around uh, 16%. Busey's is at 13%. But his mock draftable, you know, spider chart has comps to, you know, some interesting names himself, like, you know, among his recent comparisons, like John Hightower, for instance, was a fifth round pick last year and he's number two on Busey's list. Um, you know, Dante Pettis was a second round pick. Brandon Ayuk was a first round pick. And, you know, while I think the uh, you know, the ACL injury that Busey suffered is probably gonna raise at least a, a couple of red flags here and there, you know, the fact that he looked relatively, you know, fresh, looked strong in his pro day. Was able to, you know, flash a lot of the physical skills. Despite that, is going to be, I think, a point in his favor. So, like you, you're talking about, you know, two very, very different receivers who could end up in the situation where they're both waiting to see if they're going to get picked for very different reasons.
1: Well, we'll see. I guess that's how it mm-hmm. works out. But uh, I don't know. Anybody else at the draft front we need to get to outside of repeating what was done last week?
0: I think that's about it. I mean, unless you want to talk about some more, more marginal guys, like you you have uh, Cyrus Dutal from Fresno State. Oh, let's um, get
1: to him real quick, because he's a guy where last year, uh, was it Gabe Maltu? Is that how you say it, right? Uh,
0: are you talking about Natani Muti?
1: Sure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm, uh, I, I'm looking at Gabe Soul down here in our list. I'm like, yeah, let's let's mix some names together. Because he, he was the first guy drafted last year, correct, from the conference?
0: No, I think has, Ezra Cleveland was.
1: Ezra Cleveland, okay, he was a higher expected than we thought. Maybe that's what it was. So where does like where does he fit? Because we, you were pretty high on him early, earlier when we chat about random draft stuff and other things. I don't think he'll be high as a prior person guys, but he's someone that, from what you said and kind of what we've seen, that he might be an under the radar type guy because he's like a Senior Bowl top two hundred and fifty guy, He's kind of in that mix. Like, oh, who's this guy?
0: Yeah, I almost, I almost I almost wonder. I almost wonder if they're going to see him as sort of like a project type guy in the same way that Muti was a project type guy, it, which is not to say that, you know, they're exactly the same kind of athlete, although in some respects they are like, if you look at mock draftable, for instance, they have Tua tell as a guard, which I think is interesting. First of all, because he played tackle more often, than not a person of state, but it is interesting comparing the two and fairly or not, because the one thing that they have in common is they both really showed out as far as like beats of strength are concerned like obviously we had the article last year where you know Moody set the record I think for for reps on the bench press yeah. but so Tutel wasn't that far behind he did 36 reps on the on the bench press which if you compare him to other guards is in the 96th percentile and when you compare you know his overall chart to you know other guys I, I mean, it's sort of hard to find another success story in the bunch. Like, you know, McCullough Freitas is his number one guy. Have you ever heard of him? Yeah, a guard project from Arizona who, from, the, from the draft class of 2003. You know, Sean Hickey from Syracuse 2015. Jason Smith from Baylor 2009. Which is not to say that he can't defy the odds, but I think it's going to be really interesting to see you know, how NFL teams buy into that strength in particular, because I think he played well overall at Fresno State. But I, I just don't know if they see him as more of a tweener. I don't know if they see him as a, as a tackle prospect or if they see him as a guy who can do both. Um, And that, I think, may hurt his overall draft value a little bit. I don't know. We'll see. But
1: I, I he might be a guy who might get in there who we're not talking about.
0: Yeah, possibly. I mean, it would. It w- I mean, let's not forget Muti, despite the injury problems and and you know in you know with the kind of the show of, of the bench press, he w- he was ultimately a fifth round pick. So maybe that's the kind of place where Tuatel Tell lands as well.
1: Which would be nice, like get drafted, get that shot. You know what I mean? Like yeah, just like if you if once you're getting to like the early seventh round stuff, you'd rather like give me a free agent, so I can go to a place to actually a better fit kind of pick your pick your spot exactly i don't anybody i don't know what like anybody else you're dying to talk about who might have a shot here that we won't get to next week or that what about donald
0: ham in the third uh,
1: quarterback air force is he gonna play quarterback in the nfl athletic,
0: expectation yeah, he's- I mean, I thought it was I thought it was really interesting to look at or to look at some of the attention that he's getting, because I think it was uh, uh, Nate Tice over at The Athletic who put together a, th- a very brief thread. It was about a week ago at this point. It was just captioned. You aren't ready for Donald in the third. And it was some of his tape from the Colorado game in particular that they played a couple of years ago where he was, you know, right on point as far as making downfield throws. He was making good decisions as far as, you know, tucking and running when they're, you know, when the the passing lanes weren't there. But I think there's definitely, I mean, I don't know, because he's definitely not a a Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields type. But I don't know how much run he's going to get as a quarterback, fairly or unfairly. Like I don't know if that's going to be enough to get him drafted, but I think maybe relative to some other guys who have come out of academies in in recent years, like I think he's a better quarterback prospect than Malcolm Perry. I think he's a better quarterback prospect than uh, than Keenan Reynolds. Uh, Reynolds, excuse me, coming out of Navy. Uh, I think it was like five years ago now at this point, but I think you know he's. Got something of a, a, a physical disadvantage working against him. Like it's it's hard to succeed as a quarterback when you're only six foot, for example. Like not every six foot quarterback be Drew Brees. I think that might be one thing that works against him. And I think that you know having you know good game speed is going to work out in his favor. But I think maybe he's a little bit of a step slower than some of the quarterbacks who were likely to get drafted. I don't. I mean, it's it's hard to really gauge. Like, I mean, I don't know if he's going to get drafted. He's but I also don't know if somebody's going to see him as, like, a Jalen Hurts type. I mean, who really knows with the way that the, the NFL game is evolving at this point?
1: So just go to the Eagles and hope for the best?
0: <laughs> I mean, maybe. I mean, well, didn't they trade for Nick Bowles again for some reason?
1: Yeah, they also have Greg Ward and John Hightower who play five different positions now. So that could be a spot. He well, He's not going to get drafted. There's, like, 20—he's— on Bugler's list, there's 24 QBs ranked. He's 23. Yeah. And so there's that to consider as well. And he's behind Kevin Thompson, who was from Washington, who I don't think he started last year.
0: Well, he started a couple of years at Sacramento State before he transferred to Washington.
1: Okay, that's right. So, okay. So, first off, a couple reasons Hammond won't get drafted, because he's not really a quarterback, traditional type. He was basically kicked out of the academy, so that doesn't help. For reasons we don't know, but he was not able to play or be part of the school. So that's a ding against them. Offense doesn't throw the ball a ton. He's super athletic. Like maybe again, you can put him at running back or receiver or return guy. Maybe that would be the case because he's pretty dangerous with the ball. But there's no way if he's going to sound quarterback that he's going to even. He might not even make like a rookie camp. Not not even, let alone undrafted for each guy like the three day rookie camp He may not he may not have a hard time finding that spot. Well,
0: let's put to- Let's put it this way. I mean, I think. I'll, I'll reiterate what Justin Mello said last week. Is, is it really only takes one. It, does. it takes one team to believe in you. And so I'm thinking of like, I know he's not the same kind of quarterback, but I'm thinking of like the Arizona Cardinals, for instance. There was like a week or two last year where Kyler Murray got banged up and they had to turn to some guy I had never heard of in my life who was like from, from like from like the CFL or something like that, Right. And so I'm thinking, like, you know, if you know Colt McCoy is going to get, like, his 15th concussion at some point, you're going to need, like, an emergency quarterback of some kind. Like, what's not to say that he can't be the third quarterback on the team? What's not to say that he can't beat out Cole Cole McDonald for that job? Because Cole McDonald was a seventh-round draft pick last year by the Titans. You know, he ultimately got cut. But he's in Arizona now. What's not to say that Hammond can't do that? Because... I don't know that I would agree that he's not the kind of guy who could stick a quarterback in the pros. I don't know, but I just I'm just saying like you know, you see the quarterback position is so thin sometimes for certain teams and I think you know, depending on who you are and, and Arizona was just the the one team that came to mind because I remember they they walked into that situation last year. Or, or maybe Pittsburgh is another one where, like, when Ben Roethlisberger got hurt, Mason Rudolph was very clearly not the answer for them. Um, you know, it takes one team to believe in them, and maybe it's a te- if you're if you're a team looking to take a seventh round flyer, and maybe you aren't sold on like, I don't know, Shane Mutschel or someone like that. Maybe you aren't sold on like KJ Costello, guys like that. Hammond, I think, could be worth as much of a shot as any of those other guys who, you know, are on that line between being a seventh-round pick and being an undrafted free agent. You never know.
1: No, that's totally true. Uh, I don't know. I just, not, I just don't think it's gonna happen.
0: like, I just, watch, I don't see that there's that much of a difference between someone like Hammond and someone like Ian Book, for example. Like, Book is not a first-round guy, but he's a guy being talked about as a, as a day three guy. And I could see, like, if somebody believes in Hammond enough, that he could be in that same kind of conversation. I guess that's what I'm saying overall.
1: Could be. My only thing is that he doesn't throw the ball enough to see what he actually can do. But he's a unique guy. If he's athletic enough, teams are more, oh, not just Eagles, but there's teams that are more open to take a guy. Like, look at Avery Williams, like, with Justin Lottmell last week. Well, they're looking at him at running back some teams. Like, well, that's kind of interesting. You're right. It could be just that one team that says, ah, sure, we'll do it. Yeah, that sounds good. You know what I mean? Like that could be what they're looking at. So, um, should we move on to the playoff talk for me? Because we're doing a hodgepodge today. And this last topic is get me going. I'm ready to go. Let's do it. <laughs> so over the weekend, or I guess Friday, the great Friday news drop, which would have been amazing news. Cosmopol Playoff Subcommittee presents expansion ideas to as many as 16 teams. Is this happening, Matt? Are we going to have an extended playoff? They say nothing within two after the next two si- two seasons. So the 2022 game. 2023 game or whatever you want to say, 21-22 season, it's going to be as is. Mm -hmm. Them coming out and saying this publicly means it's happening. There is no way it's not happening. That's my first takeaway. Plus, (laughs) hold on, wait, I bring this up because you were not aware of this. They presented 63 possible combinations.
0: Six teams, eight teams, 10 teams, 12 teams, and 16 teams
1: probably a variety of buys and auto bids as well to get to that sixty three possibilities. Mm-hmm. So first up, what's your thought on this? Are you in favor of more playoff games to make Because the playoff itself, it's like, eh, whatever. It's cool and fine, but just I'm too much focus on doing that, which I get the weekly shows, we do rankings about it. Get pub to watch ESPN for their playoff show every week. Get people riled up. I get it. There's a lot of I like how the at least the rankings are later in the year, so it's not really a focus the first half, but if it's expanded, yes, the focus will be on that probably even more, but the focus will also be on instead of, say, realistically, what, 12 teams? Too many, if they do a 16 team playoff, let's just say every conference gets invited, you're looking at 85 teams of in- You know what I mean? 70 teams of interest to make it a bigger net for college football fans to want to watch this show, depending how the, it, the ranking show, however, it's going to formulate or transform into to figure that out. That puts still, well, I'll get to my bigger thoughts later, but that puts more interest to sport as a whole instead of talking about Clemson, Alabama, like Notre Dame, and then randomly Cincinnati, um, Coastal Carolina, be I mean BYU, random Pac-12 team out west, and that's about it. And like the random North Carolina team that everybody laughs at, but is doing pretty good.
0: It's going to make a lot of people a lot of money when they actually get around to doing it. And by the time they actually get around to doing it, that a lot of people might actually include the players with all the NIL laws that are being passed around the country.
1: Is this a reason why to make more money to the schools? Because I don't.
0: Cause it I don't absolutely know. is a reason why. The money is <laughs> no, the money no, no, is no, no, everything.
1: No, no. I paused to say something. The oh, OK. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. I get it. Money. But there's some random bills out there like three different states. I know Mexico recently did one. and got the one in California. Florida, there's that company in Nebraska, I think it's open source, that's trying to uh, can hook you up with endorsements whenever, essentially, like NFTs and all that type of stuff, which will be big too down the road. My point being, there's the bills or proposals, revenue sharing with the players, which I think is a, I think it's a Pac-12 deal. That seems a bit out of reach to share the revenue with the money-making sports, because again, all these sports, football, helps pay for the swim team, the tennis team, the track team. So maybe mm-hmm. that's the way. If revenue sharing is somehow part of it, not the 50-50 split, but let's say there's a percentage of it, this is a way to kind of offset that. And also, if you ever read like Matt Brown's newsletter Extra Points, maybe teams don't need a waterfall or a barbershop or a um, flight simulator in within the locker room. Maybe there's a mm-hmm. way to use that money to help out players. But that's my point being. the If revenue sharing is a thing, this would help offset and even still grow the difference if it's, say, a – low number, like I don't think 50% or 10% or something like that could be a revenue mm-hmm. sharing. Thing. That's why I was getting at. I like how you jump in like, yes, it's the money. It's always the money. Look at a Super League that failed. That's always about the money. Come on. Yes. <laughs> so with this, Craig Thompson is part of this committee, mm-hmm. as is Bob Bowlesby, Big 12 Commissioner, Greg Sankey, SEC, um, Joshua Brook of Notre Dame. So what do you think is the end result here? Because Bill, um, Bill Hancock's always like, bcs no playoff two teams is good four teams fine okay let's see what else we got here folks it's always about the next step we probably discussed this before but what's your what do you think is going to happen first off what do you think what's your ideal situation first what do you think the deal is
0: if it were up to me it would be 12 teams it would be an nfl style playoff with all 10 conference championships and two quote-unquote wild cards and even if it meant that you know most of the games would still be won by teams in the power five then that's fine because at least you're giving everybody a shot
1: Give me Oral Roberts. Come on. <laughs>
0: no, I mean, yeah. Give give me Ball State versus Oregon in round one. Last year, give I mean, give me like San Jose State versus Oklahoma. I don't care that the Spartans are probably going to lose that game eight times out of ten. Just give it to me. You got those two times though. Yeah. Exactly
1: Boise State Oklahoma. Remember?
0: Come on. Yeah, and so like that that would that would be. What I would do, if it were up to me, I'm assuming that is probably one of those 63 proposals that they've looked at. What I think will happen is they'll go to eight.
1: You're probably right. I don't like it, but you're probably right. Which
0: will probably be just like the top eight in the college football rankings, which whatever. But at at least we know that that a group of five team can climb into the top eight. And I think that that's important to keep in mind as well. I think there'd be
1: five auto bids in one group of five and two at large if they go to eight. Probably. So like if you're a 14th ranked Coastal Carol or Cincinnati, wherever they were at nine or 10 or the years where it's like a top 14 team, yeah, you're going to play Alabama, whatever. I, that's probably because here's the reason you're probably right. I don't think they'll go to six because whatever. And they've already proven with this, like they don't care about how many games you're going to play because whatever, it's, it's a deal. Make extended season out of touch. They work out year on anyways not a huge deal if it's a couple more weeks in my opinion yeah but they're not gonna they're not known for these grand changes so while they're bringing in 16 teams options that's not gonna happen I it's gonna be a low ber- like I could honestly see them say fine we'll give you two more teams and just do stupid six which better ah. than four better than two but if you want your sport to grow like here's the big if again you mentioned it's all about the money it's always about money allow as many people as possible to be in your playoffs the SCS is going on right now. I know they're limited this year, but it's like a twenty. I think it's a 2014 playoff normally. Mm-hmm. My ideal, which I'll say a million times, give me 16 teams. Every conference is evolved auto-bid champion because that still allows you to have rele- – because the always think, well, oh, the regular season is meaningless if there's a the playoff and it's this, this, and this. And there's no – because it's invitational. There's no automatic way to qualify. So if you bring in an automatic qualifier for every league, I don't care if it's – Sunbelt getting like close to Carolina approved. They, that's a good conference. There's some good teams in there. Even CUSA, it's like, well, they're not that great, but you never know. Marshall, the one. You know I mean, there's teams out there. It, it provides a pathway to get mm-hmm. there for it, it. Brings in like you could be like this. Hey, we have the Wednesday night Marshall versus um, Tul- not, is Tulane? No, no UTEP. Whatever. I'm trying to think a random conference USA team. Hey, Marshall's first place. UTEP's not very good. UTEP pulls in the upset, and knocks Marshall out of the playoff exactly a pretty big deal or something like utsa who all is in there like they might pull that up so to get some team who like marshall may not even be ranked they may be sitting at eight like seven and two sitting that's middle of november their focus is winning to get into that conference title game or how much bigger are these conference championships games that aren't just a money grab where you know you get in you're gonna win even though it's like okay if you're an sec if you lose you're probably gonna get in but six at large burst like that's still going to be, like, for example, uh, I wish I, I should probably pull the rankings up here, but if you look at the p- typical rankings, those six extra teams are still probably going to be in the top 12 overall. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm looking at the last final playoff rankings. Like, we're looking at the of conference. I know SBC is overinflated a bit with who because they're a little bit better or better than most leagues. You had Florida, you had only Alabama in the top 10, and Georgia in the top 10. Three in the top, okay. Those get in. That's two more. You still might get an Indiana. You could still get like a Coastal – oh, they win a conference. But like North Carolina could get in at 8-3 because they're a top 13 team possibly. It only gives you for six spots. So it's not like you're going to be having these teams that are not deserving to get in. I don't care. Again, if it's Alabama versus Conference of State, you know what that means, Matt? Alabama gets a breeze game. It gets to put in their backups in this third quarter if they want to and play at home. Exactly. That's, that's why I think a bigger one is better. I know there's working way around finals and stuff, but they could do it where they could like do a pre-Christmas week, like the Vegas Bowl weekend, play games like maybe a Friday, Saturday during the holidays, where they have the opening round before Christmas, the sem- the uh, eight round of eight like on New Year's, couple weeks off, and then you got the final four, like essentially soon after that, and then you're done third week of January. You maybe push spring ball back off. You give these the teams that are involved, to push it back and a little more time off. But I don't see why that's gonna that shouldn't preclude from doing a larger playoff. But as a big point, this is awesome. This gives more opportunities. But I'm still going to hold my breath until I see what's out there. Like I'm not going to – just because it's a sixteen team rate team, I'm like, oh, it's cool. It's better than four. And then it'll be a couple years later, hey, why don't we go to 16 and whatever. It's like just go big now and try it. What's to stop you from doing a temporary? Like I made this case back in August. This last year would have been a perfect time to expand the playoff. You need more games, you need more money. Why not do a one? You already have the contract locked down. Make some amendment to it. All right, this one year we're doing a sixteen team playoff. We're gonna do a kind of flex playoff for the next couple years to see what the best option is. But that's too creative for these college football guys. I know, right? But I would like, I would like that. But so Craig Thompson's part of this, like. Do you uh? Do, what do you think he's he's going for? What do you think he's nudging? Might of these other guys to do?
0: I think he's probably more of like a go along to get along kind of guy. To be honest, <sighs> be right. like oh whatever, whatever's <laughs> fine with you guys.
1: More teams that gives us a little, uh eight six percent more chance or two percent more chance. There you go. Go big, man! Come on, right? I think he should. And in everybody's and everybody's particular taste. It should go big because if you're Greg Sankey, you might get you could. I wouldn't. See, there would. I wouldn't be shocked me if they're say we do my option or they do sixteen teams. Could you see a scenario? I this wouldn't shock me where there's four SEC teams that get in. Uh,
0: I don't, I don't think that's gonna to happen. Real. Let's let's adapt the brakes I mean, on that. I
1: mean, if it's a sixteen team league tournament, you get your one auto qualifier. You're not telling me you can't get maybe th- maybe three more in there. At least two, I could say.
0: No, I don't know. I don't know if the SEC is that good.
1: I'm just I'm just saying like. I think three would be almost regular, right? Three total.
0: Yeah, I mean three sounds more reasonable. Four just sounds crazy.
1: It, it does, but I'm saying like, why not go for it? You know what I mean? I, yeah, but but leads you the more more plate more spot. Like that's my point. Like it's it's it kind of seems out there, like you said. But I wouldn't sup- overly surprise me if somehow there's four in there because mm. whatever. I don't know. I want to see this happening, but there's going to be something done this summer about. They're not going to make an announcement. They're just going to meet again this summer to present their meetings. But I don't know. The two-year contract, I think that's what they're waiting on. But just give me some flex playoff. Why not? You know what I
0: mean? If anybody on the, the committee is listening to this podcast, I'm available for consultation anytime.
1: We only charge $400 hour, right? No, we- yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's we'll let you know. I, I, we have many articles we could send you. And that we will lock me in a paywall to accept the uh, Venmo or PayPal that comes our way. Then we'll release the password to you guys.
0: There you go. There you go.
1: But I'm excited. Like, are you excited about this? Does this excite you to have more options to get to the playoffs?
0: It does. I want to see a Mountain West team with a legitimate chance to get into the playoffs someday.
1: I do too. And I'll say I'll pump it again this year. Nevada this year, you better get your butt into your sixth game or be close to it. I think they're the best shot this year. All right. We'll see what happens. But that's it for today. we got a bunch of hodgepodge. We'll be back next week to – I guess we'll go over post-draft stuff and see how that goes. That'll be fun. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I'm working on a guest that we talked about a month ago. We'll probably get um post-draft. Not the word you think of, Matt, a different one because that's probably not happening at the moment. If we okay. We're in boxes lately. So it's probably a different one I'm working on because NLI, NLI stuff might be coming out in May from the Supreme Court with the Allston versus NCAA. So that's something we could probably get to. And soon enough, we're getting very close, Matt. Top 50 countdown starting.
0: That's still a couple months away. Don't make me think about that yet.
1: <laughs> I, 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 hey, it's, you're not alone doing this. You do a lot of it, but you're not alone. I'm just saying. Uh, no, no, no. Just... But when you think week to week, it's getting there. We're here That's true. Here That's the true. Of April. So we'll have some fun. Check the site. We'll get some more draft profiles up. We'll have some other random stuff going on. Me and Andy doing some hoops occasionally. We one last week where we kind of compared, which we didn't get to, which it's kind of long gone, how college football is basically the reason why the American – owners of European soccer wanted to make the Super League. Mm-hmm. That's We kind of discussed that because that's exactly the same thing with the Power Five and everything. But have some fun. We'll be back next time. Listen to our draft stuff from last week with Justin Mello, and we'll see you guys uh, next time.